Hello and welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning, community, conversation, and your digital life, made for everyone at Thompson Rivers University. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tecumlupste-Sequetm within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetm-Ulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And right now, I am just utterly astonished that we are one month down. One month down, people. How? How is it possible? Let's get into it. Do you hear that? Do you hear that sound, that whistling sound? That's the sound of September leaving. (laughs) I feel like I am still so governed by the academic calendar, like especially now that my son is in school, so two-thirds of this house is governed by the academic calendar, but I feel like I spend the whole year waiting for September to come, and then it gets here, and then it's gone. Like, it's that fast. Every time. I'm constantly baffled by it. I hope that you are settling into a fall routine that's working well for you. I'm not 100% sure (laughs) that I am, but I'm working on it. It's new to me, this ferrying a tiny person from school to after-school activities and managing time after school. These are all new things for me. And um, yeah, it's, it's taxing in its own interesting way. I'm also finding that walking to and from campus after two years plus of only doing that sporadically is a bit of a challenge for me. I live in Upper Sahali and I used to find the walk to campus no big deal. And I still find the walk to campus no big deal, but holy cow, that walk home up the hill. (sighs) Anyway, September is about getting used to all kinds of things. The end of September, I always think, offers a good opportunity for a moment of reflection. I know, if you listen to the show regularly, you're like, Brenna, you think everything is an opportunity for reflection, and guilty is charged. I do. I do think that everything is an opportunity for reflection. The good thing about this moment, as a moment for reflection, is that we have more of the semester ahead of us than behind us. So we know our students well, or we know the role that we're undertaking well, we have a month of experience under our belts, and yet we still have three months to go, right? Well, two months of classes and then exams and marking and everything, but you know, I do think it's a good moment for us stock taking, a moment to stop and ask what's working and what's not working. I'll include some tools for reflection, but I honestly think that one of the best things that you can do is give yourself like... 20 minutes and take 10 of them to free write under the topic, what's going well, and 10 minutes to free write under the topic, what do I wish I could change? And if you can do that, you'll have a really good start on a reflective practice for the term. And it only takes 20 minutes. So consider it. It can feel sometimes the pace that we have to go at to keep up with all of our commitments. It can often feel like taking that time to reflect is impossible. But I ultimately believe that what's really impossible is leaving it to chance, because then you will totally feel out of control in perpetuity. I am totally excited to introduce to you today's guest. This is a a non sequitur from reflective practice, although uh, maybe it's not. 
Um, Ben Mitchell from the library hosts this amazing Tuesday night gathering for students and faculty and staff called Twitch Tuesdays. And I'm going to let him tell you all about it. Hey, so I am here today with Ben Mitchell from the TRU Library. Ben, could you introduce yourself and maybe tell people a little bit about what you do, what your role is, and then where they might find you on campus? Uh, Certainly. uh, Thank you. I am the Student Success and Outreach Librarian here at TRU. I also do liaison work, so you might see me if you're in uh, the Business and Economics or English Language Learning and Teaching or numerous other programs. You'll probably see me around the library. I spend a lot of time drinking London fogs at Common Grounds as well, (laughs) which there might be sightings of me in the wild there. And yeah, and I I, I try to uh, get out to student events sometimes at the Chusu Gaming Club. Common Grounds comes up on this podcast more than probably any other location on campus, I would have to say. And I'm so thrilled you're here. I know you exclusively from Twitter. We have never met in real life. But I, I really wanted to have you on the show today to talk about this Twitch Tuesdays initiative out of the library. So I am only kind of tangentially aware of sort of the, the huge phenomenon that is Twitch and how it functions. So I wonder if you could start by giving our listeners a sense of what Twitch is, how it works, and then talk a little bit about what Twitch Tuesdays is. Uh, certainly, yeah. So, so Twitch is an online streaming platform. It's not exclusively for streaming video games, but that's kind of its main function. It's become a bit of a phenomenon where like people are making careers on just streaming video games and are interacting with an audience while they're streaming video games. It's not uh, like like a lot of these like large proprietary platforms. It's not perfect. And there's a lot of like this privacy concerns. Like it, it has kind of a tiered gated system in terms of like, oh, you have to have this many followers to get these benefits and this many followers to get that benefit. So it's kind of like like a lot of platforms, the, the algorithm kind of pushes you to behave in certain ways usually. But it's been used by a lot of different people. In fact, honestly, I <laughs> this is perhaps a bit telling about who I am as a person, but I really kind of discovered Twitch because I when I found out that Chelsea Manning had a Twitch stream. And I was like, I just want to watch Chelsea having a good time and kind of like enjoying life. I love that. I first heard about Twitch when Jugmeet Singh and AOC had that uh, Among Us game on it during the last election. So I'm kind of right with you. It feels like the old person's pathway into Twitch. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And one of the things, like I grew up with video games, you know, basically since I was like six and also like older video games because my family was like not the wealthiest. So we kind of like it was a system behind where I was. So I have nostalgia for video games that came out literally the year I was born. But there's something about like playing a video game with people, even if it's a single player game that I can find really rewarding. And I think a a lot of people of like my generation and, and younger can do. It's almost like reading together. There's a certain degree of kind of like sociability and almost like intimacy in like sharing that and sharing your experiences and your reaction to the media. Oh, it's interesting you say that because I'm experiencing that right now with my son who is five and he has recently discovered Pokemon. And <laughs> like any five-year-old who's just a little bit bookish and a little bit obsessive, he has <laughs> gone all in. So <laughs> we have, you know, all the books out of the library and we've got one of the games out of the library and we're playing it and he has no interest in actually controlling it because he's still you know fine and motor being what it is when you're five he gets very frustrated but he loves like his favorite thing he will beg us to sit and play it for him it's more like he's directing like a movie of the game because he tells us everything to do and we just control the player and it is it's a really it's not just about the fact that he loves pokemon it's like it's much like reading together it's a very kind of almost intimate connection that it's this experience that just the two of us are sharing so twitch tuesdays What is it and why? 
Yeah, so Twitch Tuesdays is every Tuesday from 7 to 8 p.m. We have the, the, the TRU library. We have our own Twitch stream, TRU library. You can find us uh, on Twitch. We also record the videos. You can also find us on YouTube at Twitch Tuesdays at the TRU library. Just because to try to make it more kind of like a stable, ongoing thing that people can see see what all the fuss is about. I, I, I enjoy Twitch, but like I also, you know, I'm a historian by training, so I like having some sort of archival feature built into the system. Does Twitch not do that on its own or is it's really just an ephemeral unless you're record screen recording it yourself. You have to have, I think, over 50 followers in order to get that privilege. And that's why I say like it's kind of weirdly algorithmic gated to try to push engagement. You get certain kind of functionalities only if you can quote unquote build your brand. Interesting. So currently we have it on uh, the recordings on YouTube. And yeah, kind of the underlying logic of it, it's, it's not just that I'm a giant nerd. It's that I mean, you know, I personally still think we're in a pandemic, but certainly when I when I first really developed it last semester, I was like, you know, how do we get get virtual programming that is more than just kind of like talking to a you know a, a person in a workshop or something like you know and having grown up more or less online I'm like you can play video games together and yeah so it was trying to do it to, to help create more virtual engagement and content in the light of the pandemic but also thinking of from an accessibility feature I mean it's hard to get around Kamloops when you don't have a car there's plenty of students who have trouble just navigating the university space physically because of sensory or physical reasons you know the students who are agoraphobic there are students who are immunocompromised. There's lots of reasons why having some virtual programming is even, you know, pandemic aside, I think is an important accessibility feature to library spaces. Oh, I agree with you completely. And I also, yeah, when you said you still believe we're in a pandemic, that resonated deeply with me. <laughs> I also still believe we're in a pandemic. Shocking though it is to say. So what happens on a Twitch Tuesday event? I don't know what to call it. It is kind of an event, right? It's like a kind of programming. Events, it's a stream. I mean, there's a few things, right? Like sometimes like I'm able to put some thought into it and develop some specific kind of content. So like for two weeks, for instance, over the summer, we played Bee Simulator and I talked about bees because that's just something I'm geeky about. We had one episode on the kind of natural history of bees and another episode on the cultural history of bees. Sometimes it's just multiple librarians playing ultimate chicken horse and making each other have a hard time, you know, like a bit more chaotic. Sometimes we invite on various student groups. In fact, we had a club's day here, was it last week? And I was just going around, like talking to student groups who are potentially interested in, you know, letting us kind of talk about what they do, what they're interested in, what some of their events are. Already had the True Sioux Gaming Club, which I can talk about more on the channel. And actually this week, we will also be having members of the TRU Math Club with us while we stream playing City Sky Lines. This all sounds wildly humanizing. When I was a student, I was afraid of the library for quite a while because it seemed like this big imposing thing that everybody else already knew how to use. This was in the days before library orientations and before liaison librarians. And, you know, it felt very separate. And it's so funny because now I I want to be a librarian in another life. But as an undergraduate, I felt quite intimidated by the space. And so when I hear you describing like the librarians getting to together to stream a video game like that feels wildly humanizing to me like I can go and ask that person a question yeah and, and that's also a part of it too I'm glad you I am glad you mentioned that because yeah it's part of like also like just letting us be seen like it's you know it, I, I feel like it's important that like I have my video on for it Michelle Terrace one of the law librarians is also a frequent co-host sometimes Erin May like we try to get a number of librarians on too um, sometimes Amy Patterson as well just so that people can get a better sense of who we are and how we are you know we potentially share interests with them and I do think that's really important from like not just in the library but in any 
educational setting that you, you know, you feel like you're learning in relationship to your interests. One of the other things that I'm big on in my studies is finding ways to like explore and help provide supports for neurodivergent students and staff. And I do find that like, I mean, a lot of us have really intense, passionate interests and not, a, not everyone, but a lot of them are kind of geeky, you know, Magic the Gathering or tabletop role playing or video games. The Venn diagram isn't exactly a circle, but it can be seem like it's close to one sometimes. Sure. And so any ways of combining educational resources and guidance and resources to things that students are already kind of passionate or interested about, I think is a win for everyone. I really love this idea because, yeah, you know, we talk a big game about sort of like meeting students where they're at and, and those kinds of concepts in student faculty development. But this to me is a really concrete example of using an existing medium or an existing form that hasn't typically been thought of for educational purposes and like making the topic fit the space instead of making mm -hmm. students always fit themselves to the topic, if that makes sense. Honestly, uh, for me, the part of the idea came from actually like I discovered YouTube um, just at the start of the pandemic. Like, and to qualify that, I knew that it existed, but I mostly just used it as like a music remix finder thing rather than actually like a media ecosystem. And so I started exploring a lot of these video essayists who were com generally combining elements of pop culture with educational material, Philosophy Tube, or most recently like Spice 8 Rack, or like various other folks who were combining talking about like Magic the Gathering with like a, a history of eugenics and its kind of yeah. social implications, or like all sorts of topics. And finally, that there's a lot of hunger and interest in this combination of an understanding of pop culture and its effects on our lives and relating it to other topics in history, philosophy, art, media theory, what have you. I have always, I found YouTube for that purpose when I was still teaching full-time and I found the Crash Course series of, I guess, educational YouTube videos, but they were great because, you know, oftentimes in a literature class, you can get really bogged down with the contextual history. It's really important for students to have, but everybody's starting from a different starting place. And so making sure you understand enough about the politics happening around the Romantic period so that you can understand what's happening politically in Pride and Prejudice or whatever, right? And so I always found that particularly, you know, like the, the Crash Course videos have a particular style, like a lot of jump cuts. My husband describes it as jump cuts and yelling. It's a genre, yeah. <laughs> But my students could get the same thing that would take me, you know, a chunk of a lecture to work through by watching like a five minute video. They would get enough, right? Enough so that we all had the same starting point when we came into the conversation in class. And I, yeah, I became a real fan at that point mostly because it became very useful to me, I guess. Yeah, and it's on their own time and, you know, they can interact with it in whatever way they want to. And I'm a big fan of that too, honestly. Like, I know there's been a lot of negatives about asynchronous learning, for instance, during the pandemic. But again, particularly for neurodivergent students and, you know, autistic students, I found that that element is really helpful. Well, and there is such a multimodality built into YouTube as a format, at least as I think the big players conventionally use it. So I'm thinking about things like, you know, I had students who consistently watch watched those videos at one and a half times or 1.25 times, which blew my mind because it had never occurred to me. Like I listen, I'm a, I'm a, one of those old school podcast listeners who still listens to them at like the speed that they are recorded at, you know? Well, um, I don't know if it's old school or new school. I, I know that's quite helpful for ADHD students, for instance, that 1.5 thing is a suggestion yeah. for a lot of students. And I had no idea. And that and the fact that so many of my students would just either scan the transcript for the video or watch the transcript, like turn the captions on 
on and have the captions playing at the same time. These were all, you know, this was early 2010s and all of that was pretty new to me as sort of modalities of learning. And so I'm, I am really, I think that's part of why I got so interested in ed tech is the the sort of agency and choice that students have when they use some of these tools. V very much so, very much so. Higher education, it has some elements of a factory farm about it. Um, you don't say. You know, just, just, a, just a wee bit of one there. But any idea, anything to actually like help it be personalized to the individual students' needs and experiences. I mean, I've taught courses that had 500 students in them. Like, I can't say that I you know that they all had the best educational experience I could give them because there were 500 students. So yeah, and I like, you know, technology can't replace everything, but anything it can do to help personalize the educational experience is one of the good aspects of technology. It's not all bad. It's not all surveillance data. It's <laughs> it is nice to sometimes remember the positives that we get into this into finding these tools in the first place. So we've talked a little bit about what Twitch Tuesdays is, and I guess this really fits into your larger role in the library as being a kind of point of contact for students. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's technically under my outreach role, but I think like outreach and student success are kind of like intermingled in a lot of ways. That, that's the hat I wear when I, when I stream. What kinds of supports do you find students are either seeking from the library or maybe what kinds of supports are they not seeking that you see as missing? I guess I guess what I'm getting at is a larger question about sort of the student experience right now in this second return to campus year, because I still feel like things are really, I, th I think we're all having different experiences of campus right now, to come back to that earlier point about we're still in a pandemic. And I, and I wonder what that's like from the perspective of someone who is who is in the role of being a kind of point of contact for student support right now. Again, it's a mixed bag, right? Like, I mean, definitely we still have some of the standard like research reference help type things. But one thing I particularly noticed, even just in the since the semester started is I'm having a lot more students who are starting to just struggle because of social emotional reasons, right? Like I've had students break down, you know, after workshops because it, they're working multiple jobs and they're not from Kamloops and, you know, there's a cumulative effect, right? Like we're not, it's not like, okay, the pandemic is over because it is not, but also it's things have been hard for several years now and, you know, that's not changing. Um, so part of the thing is like, you know, you talk about justifying everything in terms of pedagogical value, but part of pedagogical value is just trying to have an okay time and connect with other people and, you know, be exposed to kind of new things. I, I do, I, there are certain video games I tend to default to because I still, you know, I just have what I have on my computer that I'm streaming from, but I do try to mix it up to like expose people to kind of new games or new things or new topics that they might not have otherwise engaged with. And it's also just really cool to like, you know, like, you know, I, I've never played City Skylines before to, to have, you know, the students be like, oh, oh, okay, if I get to be on the show, you know, this is a game I'm really interested in right now. So let's also talk about that and play that. Letting the students tell me what they're passionate about, right? I mean, that's why I also played Genshin Impact. Like, you know, I'm I'm kind of an older gamer. So like the kind of games I play might not be the kind of games that uh, students are playing these days, which is also really interesting in terms of the different generations of gamers. So yeah, so I think that's the biggest part of like Twitch Tuesdays, that it is a social thing, like student success. There's an educational component, but part of it is just how do you have a human relationship with people? And because, you know, I mean, it's not also just for the student's sake to be entirely honest like i found out in 2019 that i'm autistic and like i find it's a really thing that i can still be passionate about and engage with really uh well and i think hopefully hopefully that shows because i mean enthusiasm is noticeable well and so important i think for so important to model joy like it's something i've been talking about a lot on the show is that i don't know we've built this 
institution and that is sort of traditionally interested in us primarily as like brains in jars, right? <laughs> like divorced from the embodied experience. And we're slowly changing. Like I really, when especially when I talk to the folks in student development here at TRU, I'm just like so impressed with what is happening compared to what was happening when I was a student. But I still think there's, especially in this moment that is so difficult and that is so difficult for so many of our students and this rush back to like a quote unquote normal, which I think can feel like a lot of pressure if that's not where you're at for all sorts of reasons, either because you have like unresolved trauma from the last three years or because you don't feel safe returning to everyone else's normal. I I think there's so much value in a space of just like venting is the wrong word, almost like relaxing into an experience that is still tied to the university in some way, like that is still like a positive association with the university. Commiserating perhaps? Yeah, there's a lot of value in it, you know? (laughs) Okay, so I'm interested in your background before you came to TRU, because am I right in saying you're relatively new to campus, Ben? I've been here since January. Okay, so very new. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you kindly. Uh, Yeah, so I've had a bit of a meandering background. Those are the best ones. My undergrad was in the history of science and technology and German at the University of King's College in Dallas, Halifax. I grew up in the Annapolis Valley of Nova Scotia, more or less. I got my first master's at the University of Toronto in the history and philosophy of science and technology got my PhD in science and technology studies at York University, and I got my second master's in library science, again, from the U of T. I've explored kind of like, the big thing, like science and technology studies is more like the social studies of like science and tech and medicine and stuff. So like my PhD was actually on Friedrich Nietzsche and like ph- uh, physiological relativism. I did look at kind of like history of mental health, history of medicine, political history of those topics, you know, histories of madness. I spent, I spent a year as an assistant curator at the Lakeshore Grounds Interpretive Center, where we actually, you know, would do like tours and exhibits exhibits around the former Lakeshore Psychiatric Hospital. Humber College, in, outside of, just outside of Toronto, its south campus is all on the former site of that institution. Um, and you can still see it in the architecture and the tunnels underneath it and whatnot. Yeah. So I, so I, have, I have quite a background in like the history of psychi- psychology and mental health stuff and neurodivergent people. Even, bef- even before I knew the term neurodivergence, it was kind of where my own research was taking me. Anyway, that kind of, uh, yeah, you, you kind of study what you 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 become what you study or you study what you become, I find, when you do any so kind true. of like really intense yes. degree like that. And so I really, yeah, c- coming here, also, I didn't know many people. And I find, you know, I don't know if it's like a neurodivergent thing or just a me thing, but I find the best way to communicate with people, the best way to connect with people is to do some kind of like little project with them. Oh my God, ben. that's why I have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 100% why I have a podcast. Yeah, yeah, because I, I find it's like, it's a good, if you want things to happen the way you want them, you have to make them happen yourselves. I used to run salons, like gothic salons in Toronto, where we'd like have like music and contact juggling and I'd give little lectures about various things I was researching at the time. And that's cool. That's how I maintain my communities and that's how I maintain my connections. That's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and that's been, uh, you know, having to move further away just because Toronto was too expensive to live and not enough jobs for me. It's been hard to kind of like reproduce that. Just again, I've only been here since January. So this is me kind of being like, oh, what what else can I do to kind of help to create community spaces to combine combine my interests in a way that hopefully resonates with other people and and still make it an educational experience? Because all of these salons and things I did, like, yeah, there was a lot of like, you know, the cure and, you know, 
goth nerdy stuff. I mean, goths goths are mostly history nerds in my experience. Actually, like sharing what people know. I, we had to talk. One of my friends was a computational neuroscientist, so like they gave a talk about like theories of quantum mechanics and human cognition. Like it was just it's a thing I've been doing for years and trying to like incorporate some of that into streaming and gaming and virtual space has been kind of like my project since since I got here. Oh, that's, I mean, I can totally see Twitch Tuesdays and as an extension of that. It, it makes perfect sense to me. I love it. And I, I really, my colleague at, at Douglas, he had this, when I was back at Douglas College, he had this phrase that he he really, he found that he excelled at productive friendships. So he was always really good at like finding someone and being like, okay, let's, let's write an article together. Let's make a podcast. Let's do like this cool thing. And I think for a lot of us who are maybe, you know, whether it's neurodivergence or or a kind of social awkwardness, or or just in my case, just just deeply and profoundly introverted. <laughs> that can really help to, I think, yeah, just bridge that gap of like just fear of approaching other people. Is like I'm not just coming with just me. I have this thing we can do together. Uh-huh, yes. Hello, fellow human. How do you socialize today? <laughs> true. Making friends as an adult is hard anyway, I think. But like, and especially in this career, this academic career where you're just expected to like, just relocate periodically, like your entire life to continue being employed. And honestly, though, I find that's one reason why I like working in the library, because I feel like librarians in terms of academic spaces are so much more social than any of the like, like more kind of like mainstream academic trajectories I've been on. And whether it's history or science and technology studies or what have you, like, there's, there's just more of a drive to cooperate. Whereas I feel like I know in my background in history, is a lot more of, hmm, don't you steal my project? I'm watching you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort of enforced scarcity model of interaction makes it makes anything like that difficult. Oh, this was so interesting, Ben. I'm so yeah. excited about all of it. I'm particularly excited because I get to be on Twitch Tuesdays next month, which I'm super stoked about, which I'll you know share information about with, with listeners. Thank you for bringing this initiative to campus and also just for coming on to have a chat today. Well, thank you kindly for inviting me. And for everyone who happens to see me on campus, I'm usually wearing a weird hat of some kind. I have a big old tattoo on my left hand, so I'm readily identifiable. Feel free to say hello, and I'm happy to talk to you about any kind of geeky or research things you need. I love it. Take care, Ben. Thanks so much. Cheers. Have a lovely day. So that is it for season three, episode four of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. And I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. In both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.trubox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip. And if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you won't be surprised that I'm going to remind you that Monday, October the 10th is a statutory holiday. Uh, Some of our students will celebrate that as Thanksgiving. For other, it's Indigenous Peoples Day. For many others, it's just a day off. Now, notwithstanding the fact that many of the days off in the fall calendar this year are wrapped up in colonial history, including the fact that our students had the Queen's Funeral Day off, very decolonial choice we're all making there, but also the fact that students have just had the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, which I just want to remind us all is not a day off. It's a day of observance and ceremony. And for many of our students, they're actively involved in those processes. So when we look ahead to the long weekend, I'm hoping that we can take a moment to take a look at our work schedules. And for those of us who are teaching, take a look at the work schedules of our students and to really think about whether or not we've enabled them to have a restful long weekend. We're four weeks into the term, and it's a term that is as fraught as any other recent one in terms of mental health, 
and stress, anxiety. So is there space in the way you've conceived of your course to let your students take a pause next weekend? There are huge pressures on our time and content remains king. And I don't want to pretend that those issues don't matter, but rest matters too. And so I hope very much that you and your students can plan for next weekend to be a restful one. Until next time, you know I'm rooting for you and you know I'm always rooting for rest. Take care of yourselves and each other and we will talk soon. Bye-bye.